Hey, Teresa, do you have a lot of interesting funeral etiquette for me? I do, and I'm dying to tell you. It's Schmanners! Hello, Internet, and welcome to Schmanners! I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. I think I might have messed up. I think I said Schmanners too many times. Oh, I don't know. Schmanners, Schmanners, Schmanners. You know, you say a word sometimes and it loses all sense of its meaning. Mm-hmm. Schmanners, mm-hmm. Schmanners, 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 Schmanners. Yes. Yes. What does it even mean? Nobody knows. It's gobbledygook. Hey, Teresa. Yes, Travis. The topic we have to talk about is one of those that is since we, uh, since the inception of this podcast, since we started talking about etiquette, definitely like funeral etiquette um, has has been a thing that we've kicked around for a long time, and it's difficult because I think while the a funeral itself is is a very respectful somber occasion. This is not necessarily a, a super somber podcast, so I think we can do it. I think we can make it interesting and talk about it in a fun way while still observing that funerals are kind of suck. They kind of suck. Funerals suck. Well, yes. Um, but lately the trend has been less towards grieving the dead and more towards celebrating life. Which is always better. Um, and the thing about funerals, the more I read about it, the more I find that they can be extremely personal. You can customize them to your own wishes, your family's wishes. Um, And, you know, unless there is a very strict religious element that you wish to include, uh, a funeral director can basically coordinate whatever it is you would like to do. I think that this is also a good time every so every couple episodes I feel like we should uh reestablish this point. What we're going to talk about is kind of the like by the book like etiquette and schmanners of it. Mm-hmm. But especially with something as personal as remembering a deceased loved one, you're entitled to do whatever you want. So if you hear this and you're like that's not what my family does, we are not at all saying that you're wrong. Just that this is like what the book says to do. So. Well, and even though I, I definitely, you know, I rely a lot on Emily Post and Miss Manners and, and online etiquette sites, a lot of them say that, listen, these things vary from religion to religion and, and even region to region. There are lots of regional things that people do differently. Well, so let's start with a little bit of the uh, history. All right. Scientists have found what they believe to be Neanderthal burial sites using flowers and antlers to decorate the dead um, as far back as 60,000 BCE. That's like super far back, you guys. Yeah. Like, just to give you an idea, that's like way far back. Like picture like a 10 years, multiply that by like a lot. <laughs> well, and one of the things that this shows is that it... it demonstrates to scientists that there is almost a human nature to the ritual of burial. And um, that makes sense, because this is another thing, kind of like what what we talked about when we were talking about apologies, the idea of, like, even if you had no idea medically what was going on, you can tell that there's a difference between when something is alive and when something is dead. I believe so, yes. Like, oh, that thing is no more. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well... Bye. But like, <laughs> but there's definitely a moment of like, oh, there's some kind of transition has happened here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that makes sense to me that you wouldn't need to necessarily understand it to feel the need to have some kind of memorial thing for a, for someone who has passed. Yes. Um, we move all the way up from there to 3300 BCE, which is really the height of Egyptian mummification. Mm -hmm. So it probably started about a thousand years before that. Um, But it was something that was highly unusual at the time, and they were still perfecting their techniques. But around 3300 BCE is when they really were like, we got this down. And you could order a mummification according to the rank and the cost that you were able to pay. Um, and what I remember from middle school history and stuff was that 
Uh, I remember the Egyptian burial services, the mummification, all of that to be so incredibly intertwined with their religious beliefs. So like the process of the embalming and um, mummification was done that way Mm -hmm. because how they believed you moved into the afterlife. Right. Moving into the common era um, around year seven of that time, they have found evidence of Native Americans burying their dead with actual goods and mm-hmm. jewelry. Yeah, in um, not in Huntington, but in near where I grew up, we had this uh, uh, huge burial mound that was found um, that was like full of stuff like that, where people were buried with, um, you know, pots and buried with items that maybe would have been had some kind of significance to them when they were alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for a long time in the early Christian religion, and certainly even today in the in Judaism, it was always considered most respectful to the body to bury the dead instead of to cremate the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a long time, cremation was outlawed in certain countries. And it wasn't until 1884 that cremation became legal again in England. Now, when you say bury, I also want to be clear here that that is kind of a blanket term because that also includes stuff like entombing. Right. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean like below the ground. Because like when I think about like when they buried Jesus, you know, they rolled the stone away, put him in a cave, rolled the stone back. Or like a mausoleum. Mm -hmm. Or Or a catacomb. Yeah, that you get interred. Right. Some way that leaves the body whole, Mm -hmm. perhaps, uh, and stows it away, Yeah, whether that's in the earth or not. Um, But like I said, cremation was illegal for a very long time, and it became legal in England as late as 1884. That's interesting to me that it was illegal, because I understand, at least um, being raised Southern Baptist, that a lot of the kind of like, oh no, we're kind of against cremation, is that in uh, a lot of, uh, especially the, like, resurrection, you know, Christianity faiths, where it's like, oh, there will be a rapture, and and our bodies will actually, like, will will come back. Mm-hmm. We need those bodies to be in some sort of condition that, like, they can be resurrected, and we actually go with our bodies up to heaven, and not just our spirits. Right. And of course, nowadays, we have ecopods that you can be buried in. Um, There's different green cemetery spaces where they plant trees over top your body and and all sorts of things. So, you know, it it really has become a highly personal ritual. Yeah. And and if you're interested in a little bit more of the, like, more weirder side of uh, a little bit of the history of burials and that kind of thing, I highly recommend we did a Bunker Buddies episode about premature burial, and we did, and they did a, um, a Sawbones episode about, oh, what were the grave robbers called? Resurrection Men. Right. Yeah, they did that. That's fascinating. People that would, like, grave rob and use the bodies and sell them to, like, medical schools and that kind of thing. It's it's some interesting stuff, you guys, <laughs> but maybe not really in the Schmanners arena. Well, so, I'd like to talk specifically about the American ritual of the funeral. Okay. Um, which really became more of a, a a widespread phenomenon during the Civil War. Now, is this, like, funeral include, like, including say like a wake or a viewing or because i was thinking about that today when we Mm -hmm. were talking about like the topic of funeral that because we got a lot of questions where it was like at the funeral go to the funeral and like it's it's kind of two separate things right and I'll, i'll definitely go over that there are there are three generally accepted um gatherings associated with funerals okay great go for it um, but first, I want to talk about the Civil War. And one of the things that has... I feel like I should be playing some Kim Burns music here. <laughs> some, like, gentle, like, country, like... I maybe If, if you, hey, if you want to add a soundtrack, go for it. <laughs> okay, wait, this may be the time. Travis, begin that music now. So, during the Civil War, um, soldiers were obviously killed... F- very far away from their family units, which wasn't something that was that happened very often before that. 
Um, of course, there were wars before the Civil War. Um, but even when you were deployed in your military group, you didn't travel very far. It just wasn't very uh, economical. And also, the Civil War was a huge war for America because right. it was fought on our soil with, like, our people, everybody. everybody. It wasn't like... It, 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 there were twice as many because we were fighting amongst ourselves. You know right. what I mean? And so with the event of train travel and really this idea of actually going into battle, going places to do battle, um, soldiers were very far away from their families. And so it became common practice to embalm soldiers so that they could be at least recognized while they were sent back to their families for their one last kind of viewing. Gotcha. Um, and it, you know, embalming has changed over the course of what the last couple centuries. Man, I hope so. <laughs> but it always is pretty much the same, where a fluid of some sort is injected into the circulatory system and replaces the blood and changes the cell. Such an interesting thing when you think about that. What we're doing is we're like, preserving a dead person you know what i mean that like that we're preserving but i i don't know it and it's I, it makes sense to me that there's a feeling of you know whether we're talking about egyptian mummification or we're talking about embal modern day embalming mm -hmm. the idea of like we should do something Right. Why? Well, I don't know. We, ju we just should, right? Well, nowadays, there's a lot of, of legislation surrounding the embalming of, of um, people just because of uh, bloodborne pathogens mm -hmm. and other sort of um, bio diseases that can be contained in a dead body. So if you're going to touch or... Or, you know, handle a dead body. They want to make sure that it's sanitary and safe for you. And legislation goes into specifics for religion purposes. Um, but if you're going to bury a body, it needs to be done very soon if you plan to skip this embalming process. Got it. So, like, before a week goes by. Okay. Um, but this embalming process was really made famous by Abraham Lincoln. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know him, no. Well, him. so his body traveled on a train across the then United States, most of them. I'm not sure if he made it specifically from coast to coast, but a lot of people wanted to see and pay their respects. So he was embalmed in order to keep him looking a little, you know, fresher. A little more presentable. Yeah, but a lot of these rituals that we do, including some of the, the three segments I told you about, actually have a lot of pagan roots. Okay, well, isn't that, isn't that a lot of things? And a lot of those pagan stuff got co-opted into a lot of different religions. That's true. Because it was like, people aren't going to stop doing them, so let's just include them in our stuff. Right. So a lot of these pagan parts of rituals, they revolve around the idea of the of the spirits, mm -hmm. evil spirits in particular, leaving a body as it dies uh -huh. and and moving into living people. Okay. Right. Wait, so, hold on. What? Right. Go, well, roll okay. that back. The okay. spirits move from the dead to the living? Yes, because as the body d dies, the spirits are released. Uh-huh. And a lot of the rituals that we do are to keep those spirits from going into living people. Okay. Um, sure. So, like, wearing, uh, wearing special clothing uh -huh. was meant to keep the, the spirits away. Um, there are a lot of ancient tribes that cover the face with a sheet. Oh, uh, okay. Wait, the face of the dead person, the face yeah, of the face person of the there? dead person. Because I was thinking like a veil, which well, we do. You, you would cover the face of the dead person because these spirits escape through the mouth and nose, which are like uh, yeah, of the most easily recognized holes in the body. Uh huh. Uh huh. That in the butt. <laughs> Travis. Sorry. And then uh, lighting of candles. Mm -hmm. The use of fire is to keep. Yeah. Uh, is to protect the living. From yeah, that's a pretty like understood, I think, kind of concept of like fire is purifying, mm -hmm. fire is protective. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with the ringing of bells comes from the common medieval belief that spirits would be kept away by the ringing of a of a consecrated bell. All spirits have tinnitus. <laughs> I suppose so. 
Um, and then funeral music has its origins in ancient chants designed to placate the spirits. Uh-huh. Uh, the idea of a 21-gun salute probably originates from the idea that spirits are airborne once they leave the body, and um, ancient tribes have been known to throw spears up into the air to kill the spirits. And then host a bunch more funerals afterwards. <laughs> so the 21-gun oh, salute... Whoops, whoops, whoops. Oh, we shouldn't have thrown spears, you guys. That was a bad call. That was bad. Is is to attack these spirits. Got it. And of, of course, all of this is up to interpretation, there aren't a lot of these, uh, are, there aren't a lot of pagan sort of like yeah. and we, books anymore. History wasn't always written down. You exactly. know what you guys... Some like, of these rituals are very old. Yeah. We still don't know what the what the like Stonehenge was for. So like, you can't be expected for us to know everything about these pagans. Right. So that's just a few of the things that we do today that uh, have been incorporated from the pagan religions. So you talked about like the three different kind of main ceremonies or events that would surround, I guess, or be part of the umbrella term of the funeral. So those three different types, well, three different segments of yes. the modern day funeral are the first one is the wake or the viewing. Mm -hmm. The second one is the funeral or memorial service. Okay. And that is delineated between a funeral has a body present, mm -hmm. where a, um, a memorial service generally does not. Gotcha. And then the last one is the graveside service. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That, right. all, that all tracks for me. And so according to what you've planned for your deceased loved one, you may choose to have all three of these mm -hmm. segments. Um, you may choose to just have a very quiet graveside service. And usually when that happens, that's just the immediate family. Um I wonder if that's a thing that, like, a lot of, just based off of a lot of the questions that we got, a lot of, like, the discussion that I saw happening, like, on our Facebook group, mm -hmm. um, that that maybe people don't think about those, like, that there are different levels to that, where, like, a viewing or a wake is very kind of open. Right. And very, like, that's everybody's chance, even if it's, like, they were a friend of a friend's uncle, and you're there for the friend and not for the deceit, like that kind of thing. Uh -huh. And then the funeral is more of a, and that's more for like family and close, you know, friends, like people who were maybe more connected. And then the graveside service is even more like that's maybe just for like immediate, super close family. Right. And again, this really depends on your religious beliefs and your and the regional uh, uh, customs that you have. But in general, it kind of dwindles like that, yeah. like you've said. And um, in a death announcement, what they'll do is they'll usually place the viewing hours or the wake um, where it is to take place. And if there's a separate service after that, they'll mention that as well. But normally, when that kind of thing happens, it's taking place at the same place. Mm -hmm. I, I suppose unless it's at a church, because normally they would, if you would have a funeral at a church, you wouldn't have the wake at the church as well. Yes. Um, but it should all be list in, listed in the announcement in the obituary. Gotcha. We're going to talk a little bit more about those segments and answer a whole bunch of your questions. But first, here's a word from another Max Fun show. Hey guys, this is Adam Conover. You may know me from my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Well, guess what? Now we're doing a podcast version right here on Maximum Fun. What we do is we take all the interesting, fascinating experts that we talk to for just a couple minutes on the show, and we sit with them for an entire podcast, really going deep and getting into the fascinating details of their work. Find Adam Ruins Everything wherever you get your podcasts or at MaximumFun.org. So, uh, the, uh, in general, what... Uh, so I think the thing that most people like, because I think it's the biggest kind of catch all segment of that mm -hmm. is like that wake viewing memorial thing, because that's also in my experience, um, because uh, I have, I have been to some funerals and viewings in my time. Mm -hmm. That's also the, the area in which you have kind of the most interaction 
right with, the viewing like, the or, the, or the wake yeah because that's the one where everyone's kind of milling around and like either you're you know going up to the casket or you're talking to friends and family and like that's kind of the event one mm-hmm. um so that's probably what we're going to deal with most in answering these questions um and just as far as i understand it the main difference between like a wake and a viewing is a wake is more of a party it's more of a social engagement and a viewing is more of like we go to a funeral home is that true well these days they're mostly interchangeable i would say that in the early days of wakes and viewings one was definitely more somber than the other but at this point they they tend to operate the same um you would have open hours where the family would be present or sometimes not mm-hmm. um and then people would be encouraged to pay their respects in whatever manner, whether it's going up to the body and, you know, just kind of being contemplative or some places will have little kneeling stools and you can say a prayer. Or I've even uh, read about people have remembrance boxes where Mm -hmm. you're encouraged to write little notes to the family about how much the deceased meant to you. Um, So let's get to some questions. We had a lot on this one. I think that this is, um, as someone who who lost a pretty major, I lost my mother when I was 21. And so I've been on a pretty major receiving end of the other side of a lot of this. And I can say a little bit of a, a, a little tidbit to give out from someone who's been on that side. You're thinking about it way too much if you're worried about what to say. And so, for example, this question comes from Rachel Rosing. I'm sorry if your loss seems so cliche. Is there a phrase that won't feel so plastic coming out of my mouth? And this reminded me a lot of when we talked about thank you cards and that fear of like, well, if I just put thanks for this, I appreciate it. It feels so hollow and I need to come up with. I don't think you do. Is this is this a circumstance in which sentiment is way more important than the actual words that you say. I absolutely agree. Uh, my condolences. So sorry for your loss. We're thinking of you and your family. That kind of stuff. I know it does seem a little cliche, but as long as it's sincere. Yeah. I think the thing is people want to say a thing that's going to fix you or mm-hmm. make it better. And that's just not going to happen. Right. Like, there's no combination of words you could say, especially at, a viewing or a funeral or something like that that's right. going to be like oh you know what i feel so much but like you're just giving a little piece of like hey i'm sorry that this happened i'm here like i represent a certain amount of support in your life mm-hmm. that's really all you're saying um emily post does recommend a few phrases that you should not say because they tend to uh not offer as much comfort as we as we think they do things like they're in a better place, mm-hmm. um, and it's God's will. Um, although there is a particular saying I read about in Islam that it's a it, that it is acceptable to say it's part of a prayer, and it does sort of translate into it's Allah's will. Mm-hmm. I think that that's you have to really take into account the the. I'm sorry if your loss is a great catch-all. Mm-hmm. Um, if the person you're talking to is very religious, I think it's okay to have some religious uh, input there if you know that. Mm-hmm. But like, if you don't know where they stand on that whole thing, I say you, you're best just to stay away from it. Because as you said, something like it's God's will could sound really empty to someone who is an atheist. or right. was, So that kind of idea of like, hey, that might be something you want to hear, but that doesn't mean that's something they want to hear. Right. And she also recommends to stay away from things like, I know how you feel, Mm -hmm. which brings it back to yourself instead of really concentrating on on the family that you're offering your condolences to. And And, and the other side of that, too, of like, I can't imagine how hard this is or something mm -hmm. like that. It's like, okay, great. Thank thank you. This is a thing that I learned from being on that side of, too, of like, don't try to compare your worst thing to their worst thing, good or bad. Like, I can't imagine, or I've been there too, that kind of thing of like, I don't want to hear that right now. I just want you to say, I'm sorry if you're lost. Maybe give me a hug and then move on. Right, right. Um, So this is from... this. Okay, this was kind of our, surprisingly for me, kind of our elbows on the table question that we got this in, in so many different forms. 
Eric asked on Twitter, my side of the family has a long tradition of taking photos of the deceased at funerals. Is this as weird as my wife says? We got a lot of like, is it okay to take pictures at funerals? Is it okay? Whether that was pictures in general at funeral or pictures like with the deceased pictures, uh, and which is not a thing I'd ever heard of or observed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your feelings on this? Well, if you're going to take pictures, because, okay, oftentimes in in this busy, busy world where families are spread out across the United States, especially, um, we don't see each other as much. And funerals are one of those coming together family moments. And so you may be tempted to take a picture of all the cousins. Um, that sort of thing should be done after the funeral service, after the graveside service, after all of that is over, maybe back at someone's house for dinner or something like that. It really should not be done near around inside the service at all. Um, because it tends to even though you know, your family and you got together, maybe you've never you haven't seen each other for a very long time, it, it tends to appear disrespectful. Um, to the somber occasion that a funeral can be. So it should, it can be done when you're all together, but it shouldn't be done at the services at all. As far as the like picture of the deceased or something along those lines, I want to tie it in with this question from Julie. Do you have to go up to the casket? Um, I, I hate the idea of funerals in general. I really hate the awkward staring at the dead person thing. Mm -hmm. Well, so the first part of the question, as far as pictures of the dead, uh, there's actually a longstanding Victorian tradition to take pictures of deceased loved ones just because also paintings. Have you ever seen a painting where it's like, wow, they, they're kind of got like a glassy eyed stare and they seem unnatural. That's why. Well, because that's probably the only picture you'd ever have of that person. Yeah. Especially if they were very young. Um, You might not remember at all what they looked like without a picture. So it was very common in the Victorian era. And it has experienced a slight resurgence in the way of professional photographers asked their by the family to take pictures either of the deceased or of the the living who are celebrating the the life of the deceased. Um, and so if that is the case, if there's a professional photographer there, please don't take pictures. It's the same the same idea that you would do at like a wedding or something where you don't want to get in the photographer's way. Just behave naturally and do what you're going to do and you can ask to see those photos later. Um, if it is very important to you to take a picture of the deceased. You need to ask the immediate family. I, I agree. That's what I was going to say is that I think w- the reason I tied these two questions together is my kind of in general now adult person takeaway of funerals is that they're there for people to do what they need to do mm-hmm. to kind of like deal with it on that day to kind of start the grieving or, you know, continue the grieving process in a significant way for them. Um, but I agree with you, especially if you are not immediate family. If you're like, I, I, and a picture is important to me. Seek out an immediate family member who seems to be the one who's like, you know, who's the one who's like not grieving the hardest. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to disrupt someone's grieving process. Be like, can I take a picture? Right. Right. Find the person who's like the one who's bouncing between everybody, checking in on everybody, mm-hmm. and talk to them. Well, and a lot of families will respectively say no because they want you to remember the person that you knew as they lived, yeah. not at the way they look when they're dead. So, a perfectly reasonable explanation if you are ever approached. Uh, you can say, no, please don't take pictures. But what I can do is give me your email address and I'll send you a lovely picture of them that you can remember them by. Yeah, I think it's okay to say that's really not how they would prefer to be remembered, Mm -hmm. which I think is probably true in general. But as far as like going up to the casket, do you have to go up to the casket? You do not have to go up to the casket. However, oftentimes there will be a receiving line that passes by the casket. Um, there's no reason to stare or linger if you don't want to, um, but do be prepared to stand next to the casket if that's where the receiving line is. Yeah. I, I, yes, I think that's a great point of like, if you get in the line, 
you're in the line. Right. But especially if it's like, I'm there for my friend, and they knew the person, or they were related to the person, I'm there to support them, you do not have to. Especially if you you don't feel drawn to, don't do it. Right. Like, it's for you. The day's for you. Don't feel better. It's not for the person in the casket. At, At least in my opinion. Funerals are for the living. The dead are dead. Yeah, I said it. Um, <laughs> He's giving me all kinds of like next ass going yeah. on. Yeah, well, I have a lot of strong opinion. I I, just, I feel like there there's a lot of people, man, more than weddings, more than births, more than anything. I think funerals, people really psych themselves out about like what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. how they're supposed to feel. Well, if you have any particular questions, feel free to contact the funeral home. Yeah. This is what they do. Yeah, they're really good at it. And so if you if you need to know either specifics about the funeral that you are attending or about funeral services in general, contact them. This question from Tyler is a great example of this. Tyler asks, is it weird that I feel like I have to cry at funerals? I feel out of place if I'm not sad at one. Um, you should be solemn. I don't recommend that you go around with a, a big old grin on your face, but people grieve in different ways. And it's a really read the room kind of thing where like I've been to funerals for like 90 year old, you know, people where everybody just stand around telling funny stories they remember about that time that he did such and such or she said the like just the sweetest thing. And it's a very, while still respectful, it's it's a very like they lived a good life kind of event and i've been to like you know taken before their time kind of events where that is not what you're what what to do every funeral is different every person's life is different and it's remembered in different ways mm-hmm. but no i don't think you have to feel sad i i've been to some of those funerals too and i've talked to people where they're like i don't understand i don't feel i just can't cry and it's like okay like don't well, don't be mad at yourself. Nobody wants any sort of false emotion out of you. We that's not what our society today expects. They expect you to be sincere. So if you want to cry, you should cry. If you don't feel like crying, don't don't force it. This is another question from Rachel. How much is wearing black to a funeral still important slash customary? In certain religious ceremonies it is important and customary um but if you find that that's not what's happening then very dark colors conservative wear is often appropriate um if you find yourself in a church of really any denomination it's usually recommended that you cover your shoulders if you're a woman um and if you're a dude no tank tops come on man (laughs) no tank tops uh Shoes should be comfortable, but still appropriate, so no flip-flops. Generally, men wear darker suits with dark ties, um, and it it should show a, a very respectful atmosphere, although nowadays you could do a very dark print dress. Um, but if you're going to wear any color, it should be muted, I think. Uh, this question's from Tori, and we talked a little bit about the religious thing, but from the other side of that, uh, what to say, this is how to respond to, I'll keep you in my prayers, or some other faith, faith-based faith thing if you are an atheist. Um, I think it's always appropriate to say thank you and just move on, but if you are not comfortable saying thank you, you can say, that's very sweet of you. Oh, that's good. Because that doesn't delineate, that's not what I believe, but it also says, if that's what makes you feel better, you're welcome to keep the person in your prayers. Yeah. So you can say that's very kind of you. This is from Caitlin. I've seen recently that a lot of people post about their losses on Facebook. Is it appropriate to respond on this platform? Or should we reach out in a different way to connect? If someone posts on Facebook or social media, you are welcome to respond. Um, I would say as far as posting goes, that you should really leave posting until after everything has gone through, because you wouldn't want someone who was close to the bereaved to find out via Facebook. Oh, definitely. But like, what about saying like, such and such has, has passed and we'll be having a viewing at like, using it as like an announcement for the viewing. Because like, it used to be in the papers and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I feel like that's not so well normal anymore. Because a lot of these services conclude at, at funeral homes, it is appropriate that you say, 
so-and-so has left us, information can be found at this site. You've just, okay, you've just left me with a really, okay, I want to bring this up. Carrie okay. Poppy asked about this. Okay. And she asked about, like, terminology euphemisms for it. Because, for example, if someone is religious, you'll often hear them say, like, they've passed on, or mm-hmm. something that denotes they've moved on to another plane of existence, whatever version of religion or afterlife they believe in. While other people, if you were to imply that they've moved on to another existence, would be offended because they are not religious and don't believe that there's an afterlife. And I've also heard that people like don't like any of like the ones that are too uh, concrete, like they're dead. Mm-hmm. And I I like the term past, just no passed on or passed away or just they've passed. That person has passed. Um, but in general, like, what are your feelings on some of the different? Well, terms? I would say that the the one that I like the most is either they have left us or they are no longer with us. Oh, I like that. Um, because you, you know, you can add to that if they were religious and we'll see them in the next life or, or anything like that. But it does, it's a little nicer than they are deceased and it's not as flowery as they've gone to a better place. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think in general too, just once again, find what you're comfortable saying. And and you know as the as the bereaved as the family of the deceased like whatever you feel comfortable saying we had a question about like what do you say when people ask like how it happened if it's a if they died in a way that you don't feel comfortable discussing I think you say like well you know we're not really comfortable discussing it but thank you like cool if you're not comfortable discussing it you don't gotta right so I I think that make decisions every step of the way that make that make it easier for you to deal with. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's the best way to go. And I think it's what your loved ones would want. They wouldn't want you to like be uncomfortable during the whole circumstance. So I agree. This is from Elizabeth. Uh, when should children attend? Um, I believe, and Emily Post backs me up on this, that children who are old enough to sit still for the duration of the ceremony and, you know, be quiet, not necessarily understand, should attend. Um, If you need to quiet a crying child or if there becomes some sort of, um, you know, unrelated temper tantrum or something, you should excuse yourself and go out to the lobby or, or outside to take care of it. The thing is, un- until we perfect that magic potion I've been working on, <laughs> death is a part of life. Yes. And I don't think that that's a thing. I-, I think that if you try too hard to keep that away from kids, it will be even harder for them to deal with when they do finally have to face it. And I don't think that you, especially if it's like a great grandparent or something, somebody who, you know, lived a good full life, as they say, I don't think that you have to program kids to be terrified of death i was terrified of it when i was like four or five still am to some degree but the idea of like it being this looming terrifying thing i don't think you have to like teach kids that by hiding them away from it well and i mean really at that point um if a child is too young to understand they really just need to be able to behave respectively. Mm-hmm. So if if they can't sit still or they can't be quiet for the amount of time that the ceremony is, then they probably should stay home. But a great idea that I read about in Emily Post is to perhaps bring a babysitter with you to the funeral or the service. And should the child um, begin to get squirmy or need to go home and take a nap or whatever the sitter can then take them home or take them elsewhere. Um, Darcy asked the question, why do, uh, why do some people put three pennies on the coffin before it is lowered? Um, I think that the, the common understanding, I'm, I, I love <laughs> Greek and Roman history. Um, <laughs> I believe that the accepted uh, reason is that it has to do with, you got to pay the ferryman. You got to pay, pay Karen. Um, okay, Ron, however you want to, Sharon, however you want to pronounce it, uh, however it's pronounced, I should say. Um, and the idea being that when you're ferried across the, the river to the underworld, you got to pay, uh, you got to pay the toll. 
Um, you got pay to be ferried across. Um, Interesting. Now, I've also seen um, some people that that it has nothing to do with religion or anything like that, that it was just, just like leaving flowers on a grave. Sometimes people just left currency on a grave. So I think that, like, if you see it in the context of, like, for example, a coin in the mouth or a coin in the the deceased shoe um, or, like, inside the coffin or on the coffin when it's lowered, it probably has something to do with paying the ferryman. Um, and if you come to a grave and you find some coins, like, on the headstone or something like that, it's probably more of just, like, they left something, you know? Like just, a remembrance. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Courtney asked, is it okay not to have a funeral? Like, if you specifically ask uh, your friends or family to, to hold not to hold the ceremony after your death. Yes, if that's if those are your wishes, I think that it's all right for your family to uphold your wishes. However, um, you should probably make some kind of. You're dead. Well, hold on. Okay. Hold on. We want them to we as the living want to honor the dead's wishes. But there I think that there needs to be a compromise. Whereas, okay, I don't want a funeral, but you know, your family getting together to talk about how much they loved you shouldn't be something that you say, no, absolutely not to. That's my opinion. I, I think, because I've thought about this a lot, because I hate funerals. I think, I think funerals are bummers. And I hate them. I hate, I will say, I hate the idea of them. But I also love the idea of like viewings and wakes and all that stuff. But you're dead because it's more of a party yeah i love a party um there's a oh, there's a great book hold on let me look it up stiff by mary roach um that's like all about basically what happens to bodies after they die um and whether it's like medical testing or burials or anything like that i once you're dead you're dead and i so i would say my answer to this would be you should feel comfortable saying to your family, you do not need to have a ceremony for me unless it is important to you to do so. Because what you don't want them to do is not want to have a ceremony, but feel like you would want them to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think that if you say explicitly, I don't want one, they wouldn't feel like they, that you want them to. But what if they want one? You know what I mean? So I'm saying, rather than saying, you're not allowed to have any kind of ceremony after I die. I think to say I, you don't need to feel the need to, or it can be as small as you want it to be, but it is not important to me that after I die, you have any kind of ceremony for me. Okay. I personally want to be cremated and scattered over the Super Bowl, but that's just me. You know what I mean? I think there might be health codes. Oh, that might be an issue. You're right. This question comes from Aaron on Facebook. Uh, what do you do in the case of wanting to be polite, but an older extended family member keeps talking with you and you'd really rather move on? I've seen that a lot, especially as you said that sometimes at a funeral, it might be the first time that you've seen mm -hmm. somebody for a long time. You know, death brings people together, that kind of idea. And sometimes you get cornered by somebody who you're trying to grieve or you're trying to like have a very personal moment and they want to talk to you about how they remember how small you used to be or the first time they met you or the first time they met your, your departed loved one. Like right. what do you do? Um, I think that especially if you are part of the immediate family, please just feel free to say, excuse me, I need a few moments and yeah. walk away. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's going to understand every good, you know, it you can use that to your advantage that you don't have to say why you need a few moments. You don't have to tell them that you're about to cry. Just excuse me, I need a few moments and leave. Um, I want to. I really wanted to talk about this because we talked a lot about like uh, you know various Christian and like how pagan customs evolved into that kind of thing. Um, Hannah asked. Uh, I just wanted to request that you go over Jewish funerary traditions so the uninitiated who find themselves at a Jewish cemetery aren't too confused. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that if uh, you are invited to a Jewish ceremony and you are unfamiliar, a lot of synagogues have um, have have staff that will happily explain to you what it is you need to do. And also there's there's a lot of literature that you can find that is also synagogue specific. Okay. Um, but in general, 
flowers are not acceptable at a Jewish funeral. Oh, really? Most often, you will be asked to either donate to a, a beloved charity or to the synagogue itself. So like I spoke about earlier, um, in Judaism, it is not common and it is typically not allowed to embalm the body. Okay. So services are started as soon as possible, um, sometimes within 24 hours. Okay. And then after the service, um, which is typically a religious service preceded over by a rabbi, um, you are to the, the family, the immediate family, retires immediately to the home where they begin to sit shiva. Okay. Um, I've, I've heard of that, which but is I don't a, know what a that is. Which is a seven-day mourning period where they don't um, leave the home for business or social obligations. And uh, visitors and family members are encouraged to come and pay their respects at, in a mournful way to the family. Got it. Um, but at the actual service, there are uh, specific prayers that are said. Uh, sometimes just by the rabbi, sometimes by the entire congregation, and oftentimes the men and the women are separated for this. Um, and then if you're invited to a, a Jewish service, that's pretty much unless your immediate family where you stop. Um, usually only close friends of the family and the family follow to the cemetery. Got it. Um, at the graveside, there's another memorial prayer, and then uh, which is called the Kaddish. And then male mourners are usually invited to drop a handful of earth onto the grave, followed by all other men, and in some customs, women as well. Um, and it is customary to stay at the site and watch the coffin be buried. Got completely. it. Um, so then I, I talked about Shiva a little bit. And like I said, the moment that the family gets back to the house is when Shiva starts. And it's a, a morning period of seven days. Um, and typically, the family who is sitting Shiva will sit on lower stools and um, oftentimes cover their head and sometimes cover the mirrors as well. So uh, one last thing about it is if you are visiting someone who is sitting Shiva, especially if that you knew them to be an Orthodox Jew, you do not ring the doorbell to visit them. Uh, oftentimes the door is left unlocked so that no one has to get up and, and take care of it. You should knock or open the door and announce your presence. Okay. And that in a nutshell is the judaic custom but like i said contact the synagogue contact a close family friend i would say leave the the immediate family alone mm -hmm. but if you have any questions um i'm certain that there are people around who will be happy to help you i, I think in general um every single person on this earth whether you're talking about customs or you're talking about religion or you're talking about anything Every single person on this earth is going to experience loss differently. Um, and that is why there are cliches like, I'm sorry for your loss, right? Because to try to understand ev what every person is going through during a loss, you're never going to be able to. And so there's probably stuff that we didn't talk about of like, but what if you're Irish versus, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because everybody experiences and has different customs and different things that they, that surrounds the concept of lost. So one, if there's anything that you like you and your family or like you in your religion or you in your nation do, please let us know. I am fascinated by that stuff. Tweet at me all day long. You can tweet at me <laughs> at Travis McElroy or at uh, Schmannerscast. Or you could start a thread on the Facebook group. Exactly. S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. -N -N -E Anything that you're like in my country. It's, I loved having pen pals as a kid so I could hear all about that. So let us know. You can email us, schmannerscast at gmail.com. Um, you can join the Facebook group, as Teresa said. Just search for Schmanners. Uh, you should follow Teresa and tell her what a great job she does on this show. Uh, you can find her Teresa, at Teresa McElroy. Um, so this is going to go up on Friday, and then we're going to have a little bit of a special episode next Friday. And then the Friday after that, you'll be hearing our live show, our first ever live show. 
Um, we're going to be talking about pregnancy and pregnancy etiquette and manners. So if you have any questions, uh, just like we'd normally put the call out for questions, feel free to go ahead and email us now or tweet them at us now so that we can get a bunch of stuff together for the live show. Um, if you're going to be at the live show, uh, we're so excited to see you. We'll be in D.C. Friday night, and we're really excited to see you there. We're I'm excited and scared. Yeah, it's going to be our first ever live show, and we'll see how it goes. Um, you should go check out all the other amazing shows on the MaximumFun.org network, including a brand new show that just put out its first episode this week. Um, you might know the TV show, but this is the podcast version of Adam Ruins Everything. I'm a huge fan um, not just of Adam, but of Adam Ruins Everything, and he's joined Maximum Fun, and basically what they do is, so on the show, they will often have experts on uh, that they get to talk to for a few minutes, because it's like a TV show where they have to do a bunch of stuff, and the podcast is like an in-depth discussion with that expert, so the first episode is all about transit. Um, it's really good. I'm a big fan of it already, and you should check it out. You should also check out Brent Black or Brental Flosses uh, stuff on YouTube, and we're grateful to him for writing our theme song. Yeah, and you can find that theme song uh, on the iTunes Store if you go through one of your Apple devices, um, and maybe use it as a ringtone. You should do that. It, it'll be super cool, you guys. And then your phone will ring, and someone will be like, what is that fascinating tune? And you'll be like, well, let me tell you about this really great podcast. And if you like the show, you should tell all your friends about it. It's the fastest way uh, to kind of get the word out there. We don't really have like advertising in the podcast world in that way, and you are our advertising. Word of mouth is the fastest way to help us grow. Um, if you've got a second, you can go on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, last night, we read through some of the reviews that people have written of Schmanners, and they are just incredibly lovely and wonderful. Thank you all so much for taking the time out of your days to do that. It made us feel really special. Um, so if you get a chance to do that, please do. Also, thank you to Kayla M. Wassel. Please check out her portfolio. She did our banner art and our thumbnail. I think that's going to do it for us. Join us again next time. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.